0: Boogies off! i am sure you going to make the to We be seeing if they get this ride going with six foot seven, of black staring down. I tell you that this station will be operational as planned. Well. well, the man don't think so. He'll you know, be cruising down here to check out this ride. The emperor's coming here. Yeah, and he gonna put a cap in your white ass. We shall double our efforts. Damn straight. And remember this. We
1: afternoon, you're listening to 90.7 FM, KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grox.
0: That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking about the elections, asexuality, and sperm.
0: In addition, we'll be joined by Brian McWilliams, who will talk about his book, Spam Kings.
1: Also, we'll find out why cockroaches are so indestructible. So
0: stay tuned for all this, plus the world-famous question of the week, coming right up here on Berkeley Grox.
1: Welcome back to perfect Groks. I'm Frank Ling.
0: And I guess my name's Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank?
1: Not too bad, but I'm not sure about the country, though. If,
0: if science has ruled or not this uh, coming election, or whether or not even democracy has ruled.
1: Well, actually, to be technical, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. Right? That is
0: correct. I guess it is a re- representative democracy. <laughs>
1: right. So there must be some mechanism which sort of uh, doesn't <laughs> well, do things properly.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I've never really been uh, too confident about this uh, electoral college system, but even still. Yeah, so I guess we, uh, I guess we don't have a new. President, we have the uh, the same old president, right? Which is uh, interesting.
1: So, did you know they spent four billion dollars on campaigning for uh, this election?
0: Is that right? Yeah. I, I was unaware of that, but uh, that's I more
1: than ten bucks per person in the U.S.
0: Why didn't they just give me the ten bucks? I could have gone and bought a salad or something.
1: Yeah, and then just keep the old president. No yeah, worry yeah.
0: About it. we didn't even have to have an election for that. <laughs> what
1: a waste, huh?
0: Well, you know, I I think it's going to be a waste the next four years. But that's just my personal unbiased scientific opinion <laughs> based on numerous data points, mind you. Oh well. I guess you voted last in the election.
1: Yeah, I voted for stem cells. <laughs> but interestingly, I was having this conversation. Um there's some people who support stem cells who were against the measure.
0: It's just too expensive, and it's not very well regulated as a thing.
1: For one, $3 billion is not that much for research. It's not going to last very long.
0: Yeah, that's true, but it's also more than uh, California had been allocating to any funded research, in fact. Right. In the, pro- in the state, and we're already in debt. So.
1: Right, and it turns out the people who are ri- underwriting this proposal were a bunch of venture capitalists, mm. and uh, yeah. presumably they would get a large share of the money. Right. Due all these grants,
0: right, right, and of course, pr- presumably from any patented drugs that came out of it.
1: Yeah, huh, complicated, huh? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think it was a poorly written measure, but it passed. So yeah. <laughs> now that I've get stem cells, I love stem cells. <laughs> stem cells are my only friend.
1: Didn't we all come from them?
0: Uh, I think at one point, yeah. Um, I'm still one, in fact. I'm undifferentiated, in fact, right now. Okay, but the uh, the last election, of course, has made me just, I guess, want to pass out, knock out, and uh, go to sleep for the next four years. And <laughs>
1: how a we been doing that for the last <laughs> four years?
0: <laughs> I think so. I just woke up, and uh, I think it's time to go back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But a group of of, uh, medical doctors, as anesthesiologists, of course, have uh, been doing this for years, knocking other people out.
1: Oh, I need one of those. (laughs) Uh,
0: But it also turns out that they are more uh, susceptible to uh, becoming addicted to the opiate-based drugs that they give.
1: So are they somehow affected by the procedure when they're uh, giving it to patients?
0: Well, this is a suggestion now. I mean, in the past, it just been suggested that they were more susceptible just because they had easy access to the drugs and they could take it whatever they wanted. Right. But, you know, other doctors have the same easy access. Um, So it turns out that a group of researchers were wondering if they had become sensitized to the drugs while they're giving it, if there's, like, some uh, amount of opiate drugs in the air. Mm -hmm. And so they took a mass spectrometer, put it in the operating room, and actually measured the concentration of anesthetics in the air. found that there was, in fact, a quite large concentration between the patient and the anesthesiologist. And also that uh, if they measured his blood content, that there was an increased level of drug in the body. So Hmm. he started to become a little sensitized to it. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, it sort of explains why anesthesiologists are uh, maybe more likely to be uh, drug addicts.
1: Maybe she gets into the field.
0: (laughs) They pay pretty well, I've heard. I I guess so. And, uh, you know, you get free drugs and everything. Stop the pain. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, very interesting work, and it was uh, published at the or presented presented the recent uh, Society for Neuroscience meeting, which uh, we were both down at last weekend.
1: Indeed, indeed, which
0: is always quite a fun time, I guess. Nothing, nothing quite as crazy as like thirty thousand neuroscientists.
1: It's about the science.
0: It's, it's about the. <laughs> what brain. was this
1: year's uh, tagline?
0: I, uh, you know, it couldn't be any worse than the last year's, which was <laughs> "It's about the science." <laughs> but yeah, well, we have to thank them for allowing us to uh, cover the conferences.
1: Yeah, it so. was very well organized. Yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> Charles, do you consider yourself asexual? <laughs> <laughs> if that
0: means uh, without uh, sex, uh, that... Perhaps could be a good <laughs> explanation. <laughs> so you're just like an uh, amoeba now. Well, y- if I could undergo binary fission, yes, I guess I would be. <laughs> or budding, any one of those.
1: <laughs> so there's some researchers who are suggesting that there should be a fourth category of uh, human sexuality, okay. uh, as opposed to hetero, homo, bi. It should be uh, asexual.
0: Ah, I see. And what would uh, the asexual uh, category be?
1: Well, so it turns out uh, some British researchers have found out that about one to two percent of people are. Uh, have no desire,
0: so they have no hormones.
1: No, they are uh, physiologically are perfectly uh, normal, except they just don't have any desire. And they, you know, most of them don't have kids. Some of them do, but oh. they just don't have the desire.
0: That's uh, quite interesting.
1: Yeah, and uh, I guess to uh, drive a the point, there's a very interesting quote. It's like algebra. I understand the concept, but I have no interest.
0: Intriguing. Well, that might explain Isaac Newton, who I think went his whole life without having uh, sex.
1: Oh, he was proud of it, too. Yeah,
0: that's what he did. I guess he saved a lot of time, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, he also died of lead poisoning.
0: But. <laughs> he had other addictions, I guess. Mm. So will there be an asexual revolution?
1: Possibly, I mean... Because,
0: uh... you know, I was left out of the sexual revolution, so... <laughs>
1: So, you know, there are actually groups of them being organized around the world right now, and they're trying to, um, uh, I guess, increase public awareness that their behavior is normal and uh, Uh acceptable.
0: I see. So what would they do together in their little clubs? Without having
1: sex. Put like a big A on their (laughs) shirt.
0: I think that was taken for adultery, right? Uh, Maybe they could use like one of the unpopular letters, like Q. (laughs) Or X. Yeah. X, no, X is very popular nowadays. Oh, yeah,
1: that's right. X generation. Yes, indeed. Well, anyways, this is a very interesting article. It was in, I guess, the October 16th issue of The New Scientist.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe this will be on the uh, next ballot measure, the Defense of Sex Act. (laughs) All right, well, I think going from uh, those people who will not have sex with anything to uh, species that will have sex with everything. With everything? Indeed. it sounds promiscuous. <laughs> it is indeed quite promiscuous, and in fact... Almost like Freddie Mercury, in fact, who I think once said that if it moves, it will do it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You want to train? (laughs) I don't know. uh, That'd be kind of difficult, but hey. Um, I guess that would expand the definition of pansexual. But anyway, so it turns out that uh, male animals uh, tend to be very promiscuous, even, uh, you know, moving beyond the uh, confines of their own species, in fact. Huh. And uh, so it's been thought that this, of course, would lead to a lot of, uh, you know, diversity in species by, you know, of course, crossbreeding among species.
1: Well, I've heard monkeys have herpes.
0: Okay. <laughs> that might be explained. Well, I thought that's why they explained uh, AIDS had uh, transferred into the uh, human population somehow. Yeah,
1: some uh, naughty guy out there. Huh? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, <laughs> or or some cute monkeys. You never know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you it just falls out for everyone else, huh? Well,
0: things happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so it, it was thought, of course, that this uh, was a reason for, or giving a reason for, uh, uh, evolution of species, but it turns out that, in fact, uh, despite the male behavior, there might be aspects of the male physiology which would, of course, limit this sort of uh, interbreeding. And so what researchers are suggesting is that, in fact, uh, uh, when they look at, when they look at a certain type of fish called the male siphon molies, they actually produce less sperm in the presence of uh, the cross species than in the presence of their own species. So even though they're trying to mate with the other species, they'll only produce more sperm when they're trying to mate with the same species. Right. Which I guess then would, of course, keep uh, the sort of breeding within the same species. Right. Despite the male wanting to play the field, so to speak.
1: Uh, I mean, finding whales out there. (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know, stranger sort of matches have happened. I've seen, you know. Uh, So it's quite an interesting thing, and um, this was published... uh, so it was quite an interesting result, and of course the, the researchers published this in the most recent edition of, I think appropriately, our favorite journal, The Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences.
1: Oh, PNAS. PNAS. And that's all for a look at current developments in the world of science this week. This is Bertha Grox, you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, we'll find out where all that spam comes from, so stay tuned. Welcome All back good. to Berkeley Groks. Well, spam surrounds us. It's everywhere, and more than likely we don't want it, or maybe we do. Well, joining us today is Mr. Brian McWilliams <laughs> to tell us about his new book, Spam Kings, which chronicles some of the perpetrators of this, uh, including Mr. Davis Hawk and other uh, other celebrities. Uh, Mr. McWilliams, thanks for joining us on Brooklyn Rocks today. I'm glad to be here, Frank. So, first of all, you've written a, a very fascinating book. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about
2: it? Well, it's um, it's a investigative Book. It, it reads, though, sort of like a novel, and it tells the story of about a five year period from 1999 till this summer in the spam wars, I guess you could call it. It chronicles the story in particular of a guy you mentioned, Davis Hawk, who's um, 26 years old, former neo Nazi, um, who gets into the spam business. And uh, the other plot thread follows a woman, California resident in Orange County, California, who goes by the nickname Shiksa, and she's not a spammer, she's an, what they call an anti-spammer, and, and her avocation is to try to track down spammers and, and expose them and get their websites shut down and get their internet accounts taken away. And uh, About midway through the book, these two people, their paths cross in kind of a violent way, and. And there are a bunch of other spammers uh, involved as well. There's about a dozen total guys who are in the spam business who get profiled in the course of the book.
1: And are, are these people who have been prosecuted or convicted, or are they still out in the wild?
2: Well, a number of them, such as the you know the main character, Davis Hawk, they have been sued, Davis Hawk was one of the guys last March AOL uh, announced its first lawsuit under the new federal anti-spam law that's called CAN-SPAM and Davis Hawk was the target of that lawsuit and that litigation is I think just about wrapped up. You know usually these things, what happens is the spammer comes to some sort of agreement with whoever is suing him or her and usually it involves agreeing to pay a big chunk of money and Hawk is basically on the run. He's not dealing or, or trying to settle the lawsuit with AOL, and so what will probably happen is the court will award some kind of a huge judgment on behalf of AOL, but I don't know if AOL will ever be able to collect it. So he's, he's got a lawsuit pending, and then there are a number of other uh, spammers in the book, like a guy named Jason Vale. Who is a fellow who was spamming for laetril, which is, a few years back was very popular as a possible cure for cancer. Basically, uh, it's found in apricot seeds, among other places. And this guy named Jason Vale was was just blanketing the internet with spams, trying to sell apricot seeds. And the Food and Drug Administration stepped in and, and said you couldn't do that. But he just flouted it and, and kept spamming. And he's in jail right now. He's in jail for six years as a result of, or five years as a result of violating the court order. So, um, But then on the other hand, there are still lots of guys um, who are banning full-time heavily and they're, as far as I know, not under any kind of litigation or, or threat of prosecution.
1: Obviously, these spammers are very intelligent people. What exactly motivates them to do this stuff?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if they're all real intelligent. they're um, I mean, the, this, the central character of this book certainly is. He's a one of the interesting things about him is that he's a um, quite an adept chess player. He's got a U.S. Chess Federation rating of just under two thousand. And, and as a high school kid, he was a very competitive chess player regionally. He grew up in Massachusetts, and he was an honors student in school. He went to college at a place in South. Carolina, of all places, an odd place for a guy from Massachusetts to go to school, but he went to a college down there called Wofford College and had a real nice GPA until he dropped out to go be a Nazi, neo-Nazi. But what motivates him, or what motivated him, and what motivates a lot of these guys, I think is, I guess you could just call it their lazy entrepreneurship. I mean, they want to be involved in business. They want to make a lot of money, and they want to make a lot of money fast. Spam for some people is very attractive because I think it's sort of like the, the allure of fishing. You know, I don't, I don't know if you ever have fished, but you know, the idea of just sort of throwing a line in the water and just sort of magically you pull it out and there's a fish on the end and. and that's sort of what spammers are up to, but they're throwing you know, millions of lines in the water at the same time, and, and basically making the water impassable for everybody else. But so it's just a, that, that thrill of, of just being able to reel somebody in without very much effort and, and making a lot of money really fast. That's the thrill for them.
1: Certainly, they do really reel people in. For most of us, spam is annoying, but I guess there is a market for it. That's why it keeps coming, right?
2: Yeah, I mean that was one of the things that really surprised me in the course of researching the book. You know, I, I delete. I'm, I'm up to like 300 spams per day I've had the same email address for about six seven years so I, I really get pounded with it but so I deleted it and I figure you know, most people don't really go for it but what I've discovered in the course of researching the book is that there is a big market for spammers out there and this guy Hawk in particular was at, at one point uh, in 2003, was grossing $600,000 a month, selling, how should we say, male enhancement pills. And you know, there were people, and basically, what these pills are is is just a collection of of herbs that don't have any known, you know, male anatomy enhancing uh, features to them. I guess they they might make you feel a little randy, but that's about it. And could a placebo effect? Could be, yeah. I mean. <laughs> But lots of people who should know better were buying them. I mean, CEOs of corporations, uh, the head of a big mutual fund was buying pills from Davis Hawk. You know, housewives were buying them for their husbands. I mean, it, it was insane. And so for a period of time, he was really raking it in. He was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, he was a millionaire uh, as a spammer, Just and, and clearly he was making that money. It was coming from somebody, and there was people who thought that he had products to sell that were worth paying money for.
1: Could you discuss some of the techniques they used to, uh, say, get people's email lists
2: well, he Hawk and, and the other characters in the book rely on a variety of techniques to get emails. They have changed over time. It used to be really easy to go into, say, a place like AOL, into the chat rooms at AOL with a special program and just hoover up screen name, you know, email addresses right out of the chat rooms. There are also similar programs. Harvesting, as they say, uh, web pages and discussion groups on Usenet or other bulletin boards, just you know grabbing anything that's got an at sign in it and adding it to a list. So they can you know they can just through these automated tools create pretty big mailing lists. But then there's there's a whole sub market in the spam world of people who are called list brokers, and they basically just you know collect and trade lists and they verify them, make sure that the list the addresses on the lists are valid because having a list with a lot of bad addresses is is kind of bad for a spammer. They tend to get, you know, they get a lot of bounces and they get in trouble with the ISPs and that sort of thing. So the the main thing is just, you know, people kind of carelessly posting their email addresses in various places on web pages. That's just, you know, mana to a spammer. In terms of the equipment
1: you need to uh, be a spammer, what exactly do you need? A server, a uh, dedicated line, uh, what else do you need?
2: Yeah, it's pretty low low overhead. They, you know, it depends on what level at which you want to do it. Some of the guys, a guy named Scott Richter is, is a big-time spammer who's profiled in the book, and you know, he's on one end of the spectrum. He's got you know entire data centers with servers and huge pipes coming in with to carry data in and out. And so you got folks that operate that way. They're almost like a small internet service provider themselves. You know, on the other end, you've got what the anti-spammers refer to as chicken boners, who are you know they can be they can have as little as just a PC and an internet connection and a fifty-dollar spamware program, and they're up and running. You know, it doesn't take a lot to get into the business. I think that's why it attracts. A a lot of people who do it semi professional way. They just dabble in it and try to make a little bit of money here and there. And usually what happens is they send out a load of spam and nothing happens. They get no bite and their internet account gets shut down and that's the end of it. But uh, some of them, like Davis Hawk and these other guys, they figure out a way to stay in business for quite a while. And it usually involves I don't think the tricky part, I guess, is putting together the technical pieces. The, the tricky part is to keep from getting caught, you know, keep from getting in trouble. And, and that's why these guys are so reliant on all sorts of tricks. For, for being stealthy and, and trying to keep anonymous, not have anybody be able to track you down as the character in the book Shiksa does, um, you know, and, and out you publicly and make sure that you never are able to get to sign up for internet accounts again.
1: So aside from, say, those enlargement creams and porn, what what other uh, popular products have people been hooked on?
2: Well, it goes in waves. I don't know right now what your inbox looks like, but I'm getting right now a whole slew of spam for Rolexes and other, you know, bling. <laughs> and I, I think that's a seasonal thing, spammers tell me that, you know, this, Time of year, people are thinking about Christmas gifts or holiday gifts. And so, you know, certain things like watches will just suddenly become real popular. So, that, that's a big thing right now. In the recent months, mortgage spam, you know, get refinance your home pitches have been real popular, I think, just because mortgage rates went down and people are generally shopping around for mortgages, people who are looking for homes. And, and that just has become, you know, a huge market. There are, there are actually banks and mortgage brokers who indirectly are hiring spammers to send out spam for them to send these things out. And they're they're benefiting from spam, even though they're theoretically up and up. You know, businesses on the up and up, legitimate mainstream businesses. Right now, one of the things that kind of disturbs me is all the spam for controlled substances. I guess you know, OxyContin and Vicodin and other painkillers and other prescription drugs. Is that you're not supposed to be able to buy over you know without a prescription, but you can go to some of these sites and they will basically take your credit card and purportedly send you some pills, you know, without even needing a doctor's prescription, and that that. To me is really uh,
1: dubious. Yeah, one of my favorites is um, I guess you get this letter from some guy in Nigeria who says he's inherited several million dollars from right. the, the Minister of Finance or something and they need your help to broker uh, an exchange of money. I've heard some incidents where people actually. Fall for those, and they've you know taken interest to Africa or somewhere else. Is that true?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know the figures offhand, but it, at, a, at a certain point, not in the not too recent past, it was one of the top in terms of dollar value the top internet frauds taking place. You know, when people get hooked, they really get in deep, and it's sort of like gambling. I mean, once you you give up a little money to one of these scammers, they they lead you on, and they keep send us another thousand dollars, and we'll set you up with this kingpin Lagos, and and they keep bleeding a little bit more money out of you until eventually you're you know, tens hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of course, and there's also an interesting um, sort of anti-spamming reaction to that whole type of spam. There are people who like to take these Nigerian spammers, they're also called 4 nine spammers, I guess, because there's some secret service code, 419, but um, they like to basically take them for a ride and play along with them, and, and there have been some some people have even created websites where they chronicle their attempts to fool around with, with the Nigerian spammers and make the spam, sort of scam the scammers, I guess.
1: Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Are there any last words you'd like to add about uh, yourself or the book?
2: Well, just if people are interested in finding out more about it, we do have a website set up. It's uh, www.spamkings.biz. B-I-Z
1: Excellent uh, Mr. McWilliams Thanks for joining us on perfect rocks today
2: You're welcome Thanks Frank
1: And we were just talking to Brian McWilliams author of Spam King His book is now available at bookstores online at O'Reilly's Amazon and Barnes & Noble so check it out This is perfect Rocks you're listening to here on 90.7 FM In a few moments we'll find out why cockroaches are so indestructible so stay tuned Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. They're everywhere in the world. They survive poison. They survive radiation. They're cockroaches. Well, in this week's everyday science, we're gonna find out why they're
3: so indestructible.
1: Oh, I found another cockroach this evening, George. Oh, no. One of those big ones.
3: Right here. Ever wonder, third, wonder why cockroaches are so indestructible? The answer can be found in everyday science. Cockroach fossils have been unearthed that prove this pesky group of insects has been hanging around for 320 million years. Lucky for us, most roaches live in the tropics. But for today, let's focus on the long eyed night crawling, garbage loving, North American kitchen pest we know and hate. It's dark in here because roaches prefer to work at night. Here comes one now. Look closely. See those two small projections at the end of his abdomen? They're sensory organs called Circe, and they connect to nerves in his legs. If they detect even the slightest vibration or movement, they'll cause his very powerful legs to start running even before his brain registers the signal. So if we think we can... Ah, missed! ...we're mistaken. Look, he's over there. His long antennae allow him to feel his way around in the dark, and it looks like he's just found a plate of cookies. By the way, roaches will eat just about anything. Besides food scraps, they like paper, clothing, books, dead insects, and even glue. And although they need water, they can go without it for several days. Combine these characteristics with the fact that female roaches lay from 30 to 40 eggs at a time, which hatch quickly and lay their own eggs in just 60 days, and you've got an insect that's sure to be bugging its neighbors for many more years to come.
1: I'm going to correct this cockroach problem once and for all.
3: Thanks for being a part of Everyday Science. Everyday Science is part of Bayer Corporation's national education program, Making Science Make Sense.
1: So, Charles, do you consider yourself indestructible you know in the presence of the in-
0: everyday science lady I, I think I would be easily destructible I just <laughs> melt whenever I hear her
1: voice <laughs> alright and now here's the answer to last week's question of the week with Dr. Hannibal Lecter
0: mm, thank you very much there Frankie ooh it's good to be back on this very tasty show Ooh, but the thing that I like to taste the most is the human spleen. Oh, it does such good things, like cleaning out your blood. Ooh, and that's what the spleen does.
1: <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Mr. Lecter. And now here's Tokyo Kid with this week's question of the week. Uh, besides the spleen, we have many, many fine organs in our body, and they're all very, very useful. But one that I never understand was the pancreas. If you know how it works or think you know how it works, email us at grox at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but you might have your cake and also eat it. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox.
0: Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology.
1: If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Frank Wayne.
0: And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music with your host, Katie.